On Wednesday nights, we've been studying the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a very interesting book because of the fact it deals with a particular uh, heresy that was going on in the church at Colossae. Uh, As we mentioned in class, the uh, church itself was not established by Paul. Paul had never been there before. It was a Probably a particularly small church because the town was small. A guy by the name of Paphras came to Rome and visited Paul and told him about the situation there, about the heresy that was taking place. And basically the heresy was the forerunner of what we call Gnosticism. And I don't have time tonight to explain what Gnosticism is, but basically uh, it was a particular group of, of teachers who believed they had special knowledge. That's, the word, that's where the word Gnostic comes from, the Greek word to know. And they uh, tried to tell Christians that Jesus Christ was not enough to save them. Uh, they tried to tell them that their salvation was totally based upon works and how that if they were going to be saved, they had to basically um, subdue the flesh at all costs and climb the rungs of the ladder that these special teachers had set aside And that's the only way that you're going to get to heaven. And the book of Colossians is a response to that. And I enjoy teaching this particular book because there are so many rich treasures in this particular book about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do this evening is I want to zero in on a certain section of Scripture that we've talked about in class and amplify it a little bit more and spend a little bit more time with it because I think it is something that will be beneficial to all of us, uh, even those who have not had the opportunity to be in that class on Wednesday night. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, to chapter 1, and I want us to, first of all this evening, look at verses 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I heard a story about a man whose wife wanted to buy a pet monkey. Sounds like something Jamie might want to do. And the husband protested very strongly because he didn't want a monkey in the house. And he was trying to make his wife see the folly of wanting a pet monkey. And so he asked his wife, he says, well, where will the monkey eat? And the wife responded, well, he'll eat at the table with us. And the husband said, well... What will he eat then? And she said, well, he'll eat the same things that we're going to eat. And then the husband said, well, where will he sleep? And the wife said, well, he'll sleep in the bed with us. And the husband said, well, what about the smell? And she said, well, I got used to your smell. He will too. (laughs) So often when we think about the need for change, we are very quick to think of ways that somebody else needs to change. Maybe it's just human nature, but oftentimes when a preacher gets up to preach and he's preaching about something that needs to change in a person's life or some correction that needs to be made, oftentimes instead of thinking about ourselves, we think about other people. 
Or perhaps as we live the Christian life and we look at people who are Christians, we may say in our minds, well, you know, I'm not everything I'm supposed to be, but I'm at least not as bad as that person. Or maybe when we think about somebody else's uh, sins, they're never, they never, or we think about our own sins, they never seem as bad as somebody else's sin. But the purpose of Christianity is not to change other people. The purpose of Christianity is for us to change ourselves. That's what Christianity is all about. Uh, We need to recognize that there's problems in our own life and problems that need to be dealt with. And we need to understand that Christianity is a growing process, a process by which we are constantly looking for those things that need to be changed and need to be improved, and then, of course, taking the steps that need to be done in order to do that. When you look at this passage that we have before us, there's three things that stand out to me. Three areas I think we all need to focus on every single day of our lives. Uh, You might even call them the three pillars of of Christianity, the three pillars of of Christian life. And if you look very carefully at the text, it says that we need to know the will of God better, that we need to do more of the work of Christ. And if you pay close attention, especially to the words that follow these particular verses, We also need to become more dependent upon Jesus Christ. So you might entitle this lesson, Knowing, Doing, Becoming, because all that is right there in the text. In fact, look at the text again. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, there's knowing, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, there's the doing. And then notice what he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now you first look at that, you say, well, that seems kind of redundant. He just said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why is he repeating himself? Well, the Apostle Paul does sometimes repeat himself for emphasis' sake, but I believe he is wanting us to think about something else here. It's more than just having a knowledge of who God is, but it's the knowledge of what God knows. It's the knowledge of what he understands. Uh, The knowledge of God is what God knows, and the only way we can do that is we think about what God knows and then apply that to our lives. So there's three different things here I want us to spend a little bit of time on this evening. Very first thing, as I said, is knowing. I heard about a preacher that was talking to a man and he was trying to get him interested in spiritual things, so he just simply asked him, he says, do you know about the Bible? And the man says, well, yes, I know about the Bible. I've read the Bible. And he says, well, what part of the Bible do you know the best? And the man responded, well, I know the New Testament the best. And the preacher went on to ask him, um, what part of the New Testament do you know the best? And the man responded, well, I believe I know the story of the Good Samaritan best of all. And the preacher said, well, please tell me that story. And this is what the man said. Well, as best as I can recall, there was a Good Samaritan traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns, and they sprang up and choked him and left him half dead. But a man came by feeding his swine and said to the man, I will arise and go to my father. So he took up his bed and walked. 
But while the soldiers were chasing him through the forest, he got his hair caught in the trees and hung there for 40 days and 40 nights, and the ravens fed him. Just then Delilah came along with a big pair of shears and cut his hair, and he fell on stony ground. But the good master of the house resurrected him, and he journeyed on his way. All of a sudden he came to the wall of Jericho, and there Jezebel sitting on the wall, and she mocked him. And he said, Chunk down, Chunk her down to the dogs. And they chunked her down seventy times seven, and great was the fall thereof. And the fragments that, that, that remained of her, they picked up, and it was twelve baskets full. And whose wife shall it be in the resurrection? Now, I hope that your Bible knowledge is not as bad as that particular man's. But I think it's safe to say that few of us know the Bible as well as we should. And a part of being a Christian, of course, is knowing God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 reminds us that we need to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Uh, God has always stressed that people need to know His Word. And contrary to popular opinion, when it comes to spiritual matters, ignorance is never, ever bliss. An Old Testament prophet by the name of Hosea in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now what was the problem in Hosea's day? It wasn't because they didn't have access to God's word. They had God's word back then. The problem was they just simply didn't care enough to listen to it or to read it. Throughout the Bible, God's repeated command to the people of God is to learn, 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 study, know. 92% of households in the United States have a Bible. Uh, We have a Bible, but we don't pay much attention to it. A Gallup poll shows that 59% of Americans read the Bible at least occasionally, and the percentage of Americans who read the Bible at least once a week is only 37%. And contrast that to the people of Berea that we read about in Acts chapter 17. In verse 11 it says, They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We need to be people, as Paul brings out here in this text in Colossians, people who, as the text says, that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to be knowing people. But the text goes on and reminds us that we need to be doing people. Not only do we need to be knowing people, we need to be doing people. Uh, I'd be surprised if you remember a guy by the name of Larry Walters, um, but he was a very unusual fellow. You maybe remember his story, but several years ago, Larry was a 33-year-old man who decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a new perspective. And so what he decided to do, he went down to the local Army surplus store one morning and bought 50 or 45 used weather balloons. That afternoon, he strapped himself into a lawn chair to which several of his friends had tied the helium-filled balloons. He took along a six-pack of beer, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and a BB gun, figuring he could shoot down the balloons at one at a time when he got ready to land. 
And Walters assumed that the balloons would lift him up about 100 feet in the air, but he was caught off guard when the chair soared more than 11,000 feet into the air. And what was bad, it was smack in the middle of air traffic pattern at Los Angeles International Airport. Too frightened to shoot any of the balloons, he stayed airborne for more than two hours. But finally, the helium started to leak and began to descend. But in the meantime, uh, the airport had to shut down its runways because of the fact they were scared they were going to hit him and cause delay flights all across the nation. Soon after he was safely grounded and cited by the police, reporters began to ask him uh, three questions that seemed to be the most popular question was, were you scared? He said, yes. Would you do it again? No. Why did you do it? And I love his response. He said, because you just can't sit there. Now, don't misunderstand me. Larry Walters did something that was pretty, pretty stupid. I don't recommend anybody do that. But I wish more Christians had the attitude that we need to do something. We just can't simply sit there. James reminds us in James chapter 1 and verse 25, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Then he went on to describe a man who reads the Bible, but really doesn't put into practice. He says, He is like a man who looks in the mirror. Take the illustration furthest in the scripture. He says, you see your hair messed up. You see you need to shave. You see a dirty smudge on your cheek. But you go on your way and you do nothing about it. Looking in the mirror has done him no good. And James, of course, makes this important point. He says, so is the man who reads God's word but makes no effort to put into practice what he reads. He goes on in verse 25 and says, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes for us the great judgment scene before his throne. And what gets me is in this particular chapter, in Matthew chapter 25, is the series of verbs, the action words that Jesus says we're going to be judged on. The word visit, the word fed, the word clothe, the word go, the word teach, the word encourage, the word give, and the word love. So I guess as we, we as Christians need to ask the question, what are we accomplishing for the Lord? What are we doing for the Lord? The Lord doesn't demand the unusual or the sensational, but he does expect us to be doing something. He expects us to be doing something. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves each and every day what are we doing? So, three pillars of Christianity. There's knowing. You've got to know God's Word. And as we know God's Word, we are supposed to be doing something for the Lord. Paul brings that out very quickly, very easily in the verse when he says, You may be filled with the knowledge of His will and that you are in being fruitful in every good work. There's knowing and doing. But the last thing I want you to think about is becoming. I don't know how many of you remember... The actor by the name of Gregory Peck. He was more of a guy from a little before my generation, but um, he is the one that this story is told about. And so I guess I could insert a modern day actor, but then it wouldn't be a correct story because this is supposed to be a real story. But the famous actor Gregory Peck was standing in line with a friend waiting for a table in a crowded Los Angeles restaurant. 
And they had been waiting for some time, and the diners seemed to be taking their time eating, and new tables weren't opening up very fast. And Gregory Peck and his friend weren't even close to the front of the line. And Peck's friend became very impatient, and he said to Gregory Peck, Why don't you tell the maitre d' who you are? And Gregory Peck responded, If you have to tell him who you are, then you aren't. There's a great deal of wisdom in that statement. There's a big difference in who we think we are, a big difference in who others think we are, and who we really are. Christianity is more than knowing just the right facts. It's more than going through the right motions. Christianity begins in the heart. And in the heart, we need to learn to become dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's the entire message of of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. That we understand and appreciate the fact that as we become more knowledgeable of God's word, we become more knowledgeable of the fact that Jesus Christ came to save us and we can't do it on his own and we need his blood. As we involve ourselves in more good works, we understand and appreciate the fact that we can't do everything that we need to do, nor do we always do everything that we need to do. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to save us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now notice what he says. He says, as we speak the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him. We need to be dependent upon him. The passage that was read for us a few moments ago by Eric in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of our Lord. Now what Paul is saying there, and it may be as hard to understand, but to put it into layman's terms, he is saying that every time that we look in the mirror, We should not see ourselves. We should not see our imperfections. We should be looking at the face of Jesus Christ. His face becomes, or our face becomes His face. As He says, from glory to glory, all because of the Spirit of the Lord. It's because of what He has done. Now, I think the Apostle Paul understood this when he was writing the book of Colossians. He was dealing with a group of people who were being beaten down because of their performance. He was dealing with a group of people who were being told that if you don't check off these particular boxes, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. There was a group of people that were telling the Christians there at Colossae that if you do not climb the rungs of this particular ladder, you're never going to go to heaven. Apostle Paul understood that. And so he has sandwiched right here in this first chapter something that's supposed to give the church at Colossae, confidence as they continue to live the Christian life. Notice what he says after he says what he says about knowing and about doing. Notice now how he begins to emphasize the becoming dependent upon Jesus Christ. Beginning at verse 9, to read it once again, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, 
Do not cease to pray for you and to desire what, that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But notice how he turns it now. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. The emphasis is on his glorious power, not yours. Unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. As we talked about in class, what Paul is saying there, we need to give thanks with joy because he had made us qualified or made us good enough to be lot holders in the inheritance of all the saints that are part of his life, who hath delivered us or rescued us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom you have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And then you look earlier in the book of Colossians, Beginning at verse 5 in chapter 1, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is for the whole world, bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it, and ye knew and understood the grace of God in your life. Now notice what he's done there. He has taken knowing and doing, and placed it right in the middle, sandwiched on either side. On the first part of the slice, if you will, he's talking about that confident hope, that confident expectation that you have a place reserved for you in heaven. Then on the other side of it, he talks about how that you need to be strengthened as you're knowing and doing because you're dependent upon the power of God. And that power of God, as you come to understand the knowledge of God, makes you understand that we have been qualified, we have been made good enough because of what Jesus Christ did when he was on the cross. Think about how discouraging Christianity would be if you know that God has commanded you that you need to know, but you understand that you never can know enough. Or you're commanded as here in this text that you're supposed to be doing, but you know you'll never be able to do enough. As you think about that and as you think about your own life and as you think about your own shortcomings, you become discouraged, you begin to lose patience, you're tempted to give up. People at Colossae, they were tempted to give up because these teachers were telling them, you're no good, you're no good. The flesh is evil, you're no good and you can't do anything about it unless you listen to us and you do all these things we want you to do. Apostle Paul says, as we live the Christian life, there's three pillars involved with that. We need to learn as much as we can about God so that we can come to a proper spiritual understanding and knowledge of God. We need to be involved in good works. We need to be doing. We need to be bearing fruit. But all at the same time, the longer we live the Christian life, we need to become more and more dependent upon Jesus Christ. Because he is the one that's going to provide our salvation. When we have that backing behind us, when we have that strength behind us, then as the text says, there can be long-suffering, there can be endurance, there can be patience, 
and it can be done with joy and thanksgiving because we know that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. I hope this message has been encouraging to you this evening. And if there's any way that we can help you, we hope that you'll respond to the gospel as together we stand and sing.